Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut grand opening of Mad Villain Bistro Bed and Breakfast Bar Grill Cafe Lounge on the Water. Where we offer you the finest to the finest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Terry Talks Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clayton Terry. I'm Ryan Terry. And we are joined yet again by Nick Bova. He last joined us for the Last of Us pod. And we found another topic that all three of us are interested in, so he's back. Hello, friends. Excited to be here. <laughs> and that topic that we will be talking about is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. So, spoilers up front. We are going to fully spoil Full Metal Brotherhood, basically from the jump. Um, we also are probably going to have a conversation towards the end where we talk about comparisons to the 2003 anime, the original Full Metal Alchemist, as well as the manga. So if you don't want to be spoiled on any of that, if you don't want to be spoiled on Brotherhood, I should say, skip the whole podcast. If you don't want to be spoiled on the manga or 2003, because they are pretty different, um, I would say kind of skip the end. Maybe we'll do another bumper before uh, we jump into that comparison. But yeah, I figured we could start by going around and talking about our introduction to Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Ryan, I'm kind of interested in you starting. Yeah, so I watched full metal alchemist brotherhood i as everyone does went through an anime phase in uh late middle school early <laughs> high school and that was because some youtuber i'd followed recommended attack on titan i think it was only like the first six episodes out at the time so it didn't seem like a daunting task and so i checked it out i enjoyed that quite a bit i have not stuck up with the show it took too long to make and i heard that it is some weird fascist undertones but (laughs) i kept uh i watched a lot of anime content at the time and i only ever ended up watching like seven or eight anime shows around that time but i was getting stuff recommended to me like soul eater death note back and death note and back and i think are still great series uh i just recently watched cowboy bebop which has been on my list forever or i'm currently oh did you finish it, it? no not yet i phrased that weirdly oh, you betray me <laughs> but somewhere at the end of eighth grade and beginning of ninth grade someone had reckoned someone had recommended full metal alchemist 2003 to me the whole franchise but i watched 2003 first and i instantly fell in love and I watched it in order of release. So 2003, uh, Conqueror of Shambhala, Brotherhood, and then Sacred Star of Milos. And mm-hmm. then I bought the first four volumes of the manga. And I've read that, but I haven't read much more of the manga. And this series is one of the most special pieces of media ever to me. It like hit me at a perfect time. It was something in a story that I'd never seen before. And there was enough of it to keep me interested for a very long time, but not too much of it to where I was going to get burnt out on it. Because, like, two series and two movies sounds like a lot, but, like, when you look at other an- other animes, especially within similar genres of Full Metal Alchemist, it's nothing compared to Naruto, mm-hmm. Bleach, One Piece, these crazy shows that run for, like, thousand-plus episodes. <laughs> And I also think that it was, uh, in the context of, like, anime coming to the West, it was one of the first Toonami shows, and it was easy to digest because, the 2003 version in particular, because it was short, and it was, it tackled topics that weren't common in 
anime in action anime at the time cool yeah i'm it's been years you've been trying to get me to watch this so i'm curious what it feels like to actually be sitting down and talking about it now finally <laughs> it's very straight i have a lot of repressed feelings that i just <laughs> i haven't been able to talk about because so few people in my personal life have seen this show despite the fact that i bug them about it every day <laughs> <laughs> bova when did you stumble upon brotherhood i first saw upon it back in uh sophomore year of high school I also hit my um, anime <laughs> phase uh, where I watched many animes, uh, probably late high school, middle high school. Um, I originally started with Fairy Tale, which I liked a lot. It was a recommendation for my brother-in-law, Josh, and uh, he recommended FMA after that and uh, got sucked into it. Very glad that I did because <laughs> then uh, I was able to watch it with Clayton uh, and re-watching it again like, after the first time was really good like so many themes and stuff that went over my head when i was just a naive high schooler <laughs> now i'm five years six years out in my last year of college and it was it's probably like my favorite anime now just after rewatching it i'd have to rewatch some others but it was so good <laughs> i imagine it like you're kind of alluding to it lands way different being 22 23 than when you're 16 15 yeah 100 percent, 100 percent yeah, as Bova kind of alluded to, I'm I'm the virgin in this group. I'm the one who uh, was not really, I didn't really know anything about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, uh, but Ryan had always been trying to get me to watch it, and Bova and I, we've been going through series, so we rewatched Avatar, so my second rewatch of 2020, <laughs> um, we watched Demon Slayer, and then I was like, well, let's stay on the anime kick, and I know you like Brotherhood, and I know Ryan does, so maybe we should uh, start with move on to that next. And I am so glad we did because it has now entered the like Avatar echelon of favorite shows of all time, basically for me. I feel bad comparing it to Avatar just because it's like oh, also animated and like Eastern influenced, but it's really probably in my top three, top five shows of all time. I think the av the Avatar comparison is fair to a certain degree because it's got like both shows have this are fairly short within their genre um have these huge expansive or these worlds that feel huge and expansive but still find the time to have these very personal character driven stories within them mm -hmm. and they have magic systems that are fairly thoroughly explained nothing is ever left yeah. up for debate Full Metal Alchemist is a little looser with the rules, but like everything that happens in Full Metal Alchemist, you know how and why it's happening, mm -hmm. which is why I think that this, that bending and alchemy are some of the strongest magic systems I've ever seen. Cause like Harry Potter, for example, uh, all bets are off. If they, if they can <laughs> cast yeah, that's a, a spell, good point. if they can cast a spell, then that's the, the rules, they can bend the rules however much they want. Whereas in this, it's like, oh, alchemy, you have to exchange something of equal value to get something else. You cannot just create something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good point because uh, I first started with fairy tale, which is very um, power of friendship rules over everything. So <laughs> that anime is also a lot of magic based, but like you can just break the rules, do whatever you want in fairy tale as long as the good guys come out on top. So mm -hmm. I never even thought of that, but that's a really good point, Ryan. Yeah, the rules thing is so important in fantasy because that's where you can get, like, 
a lot of the emotional climaxes. Like I think about Avatar to continue that comparison and season two spoiler, you're set up that like, oh, earthbenders bend earth and they can't bend metal. That's why we put earthbenders on this metal prison out in the middle of the ocean. And you set up that rule and you enforce it and you enforce it and you enforce it. And then you break it with Toph being able to learn to metal then. And I'm like getting chills just thinking about it. And that doesn't work if the rules aren't clear. And Full mm-hmm. Metal Alchemist has a lot of similar things to that where it's like, again, we're already in spoilers. You say at the very beginning, like you can't bring people back to life. But then to a certain extent, like obviously she's not dead, but they're able to save like Hawkeye towards the end. And you wouldn't really feel like she could die in this moment if they didn't set up so clearly that death is permanent and you can't exchange a human life for a human life or anything for a human life, really. It also makes the action much more satisfying because as it's happening, you know both the limitations and the strengths of each character and you can't be surprised by them, really. If you are surprised by them, it's something like intellect or uh, cleverness and it's never... A, a power or ability that they kept from the rest of the show yeah cleverness is such a big just like part of so many of the fights in fma it's oh, just yeah. like is it is it Lan fun who ended up cutting off her own arm yeah and putting it onto a dog to oh that's my gosh that's to awesome. lead away um wrath just mm-hmm. such a cool moment like and she got that from edward um because he also got rid of his arm to uh, trick her in the past in their first fight or i guess first and only fight oh i, I never realized that you're right that. yeah yeah she uh i think she like just remembers that and like well my arm's useless anyway so she <laughs> just cuts it off and such a badass moment wow so we're already gushing about our favorite moments <laughs> i think it'd be awesome to kind of walk it back a little bit and maybe discuss the plot kind of generally of the show ryan i'm putting you on the spot but do you think you could do it as a our resident brotherhood expert (laughs) i could i can try it's a very uh it's simple to a certain extent edward and alphonse are these two alchemic prodigies who at a young age their father leaves them and they don't really know why and then uh their mother dies of a mysterious disease and they attempt to with the with alchemy which is sort of which is the science of this universe um attempt to bring her back to life because the way that alchemy works is if you you can exchange something of equal value to get something equal in return so they they're thinking that if they take the components of a human body and basically trade it to get their mother back and it goes horribly (laughs) wrong and edward loses an arm and a leg he loses his leg trying to bring his mother back and alphon loses his entire body so edward gives up his leg to bind alphonse's soul to a suit of armor and in order to get their bodies back they go on the search for this uh mystical uh alchemic item called the philosopher's stone and they're their search is to figure out how it's made or to find one. And that leads to them joining the military as state alchemists, which are these sort of military police, soldiers, scientists, like somewhere in the middle, which is a great, it's a great bouncing off point for a story because it gives very clear 
and semi-realistic goals for the main characters and it gives an excuse for them to travel the country that is set up and then it explodes into this big political thriller essentially yeah that was a really good description i don't know if people will believe that uh i put you on the spot there (laughs) i've watched a lot of videos in preparation for this I have. I've watched. I imagine you've only sent me a handful, and I've spent probably two hours watching FMA videos. One of them was like an hour long. Yeah. That was the best one, though, honestly. We'll link to all of them in the description because I think they're all really good. But, Bova, I don't know how Brotherhood necessarily compares to some of the other animes that you were watching around this era in terms of plot. I'm curious how you felt about the way the writers chose to kind of unravel and tell this story for brotherhood now looking back like this brotherhood is definitely like the most plot intensive of all the animes i've watched probably second being clan ed just like all all the like political i guess drama that happens um how like kind of like lining it up to like our current world too Mm -hmm. and like just the fact that like the entire country is basically just created by um father and uh, the father and the homunculi mm-hmm. yes thank you um <laughs> and like it's just this fake country but they're going through very militaristic means um like with the shvalon civil war and like i just see so many parallels to uh unfortunately to our real world kind of and i did not notice that the first time i watched the anime admittedly yeah. but mm-hmm. i'm a second run through i was just like wow this is <laughs> it's so uncanny how uh some of the parallels i'm seeing um and some of the routes that these writers took yeah i feel like it's worth doing the plot first with this show as compared to other shows if you looked at like fleabag i don't know if it's necessary that you outline the plot that's not really what the show's about but this is like so high level and like it's simultaneously like one of the most entertaining things i've ever seen and one of the most like just balls to the wall we are telling this crazy story that is huge in scale that a lot of people have probably never seen a story of this scale before and we're gonna tell it incredibly effectively with the twists and turns with the foreshadowing that's required and given that the manga is very close to brotherhood it's kind of a testament to um the original writer hiromo arakawa yes thank you um (laughs) it's a testament to how effective of a storyteller she is in being able to build this world and this story that is just unlike anything i've ever seen like both of you have mentioned i just say it's just so crazy how many moving parts there are in the entire story yeah like every episode it just brings up so many more paths that you can go down and uh you'll remember a plot line from five episodes back like you're finally <laughs> getting back to that uh plot line you're like oh my gosh we're yeah finally. like kimberly's a great example of that yes. where they show him in a cell and i'm like who the fuck is that and bova was like oh he's in like the first or second episode i'm like those first two episodes i had no idea what was going on i didn't really know what was going on until they got to leor basically mm-hmm. um it is not a good introduction into the show, I think. <laughs> it really it really isn't. And Bova and I, we watched 
the last 40 episodes in about maybe the last 45 episodes in about the time it took us to watch the first 15 yeah, because pretty close to it yeah i was not sucked in i don't know if you were sucked in again on this rewatch yeah i was i was riding the uh, end of demon slayer high so yeah i was like oh this isn't as good as the end of demon slayer <laughs> but my gosh so glad that we rewatched that or i rewatched it it's a shame the circumstances by which this show was made because it assumes that you've seen 2003 which is mm-hmm sort of fair in the perspective of the studio because i'm sure they don't want to spend 24 episodes reiterating the same plot they've already made it was six Mm -hmm. years ago um but 2003 fullmetal alchemist has such an incredibly strong start like the first 26 episodes of that show are incredible Mm -hmm. and the thing i would like meld them together to make this like perfect version of the two uh, or not perfect, because 2003 is totally worthy of a watch in its own right, but like this manga, ac- more manga-accurate version. But there's a lot of foreshadowing that they do in Brotherhood that they don't yeah. do in the 2003 series because they didn't know what was going to happen yet. So it makes <laughs> watching the first 13 or so episodes kind of necessary. Some of the foreshadowing is a bit too much. I think they reveal something going on with Fury King Bradley a little too early. Like it's like episode mm-hmm. one. Like you should make me think that he's a good character for at least the first like ten episodes. I know his name's Fuhrer. But like give me like ten episodes of not knowing this guy's allegiance. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Fury King Bradley specifically because I think A, as someone new watching this, I didn't remember that Fuhrer Bradley I didn't remember what he did in the first episode, but I knew he had the moniker Fuhrer. So in the beginning, I was almost like, hmm, is Ryan's favorite show of all time kind of pro-fascist? Because it (laughs) seems that way in the first few episodes, because Ed and Al aren't really questioning the military. You don't know Mustang's ulterior motives. Um, So maybe as the uh, newer viewer of the group, I feel like some of those foreshadowing things, if they are too early, maybe they go over your head just because you're trying to remember who everyone is um i'm trying to think of other foreshadowing elements in the first few episodes but that one specifically i feel like it didn't necessarily spoil anything that was going to happen with wrath's arc Mm -hmm. i think they the strength of 2003's opening is the first two episodes is the leor plot which is the perfect way to start fullmetal alchemist because uh, the military is introduced as an idea and not an entity. Uh, Mustang and Hawkeye and I think Armstrong are introduced in like 10 episodes in. It takes a bit longer. And uh, wow. Mustang's introduction is a lot cooler. Actually, no, I think it's six episodes. I think it's roughly six episodes. And Maze is introduced. The train the sequence, right? Yes, which is, um, I think the way I remember it, I haven't seen the episode in a very long time. I remember it being very cool because it shows off Mustang's skill as a tactician a lot better. And it is a really good introduction to Hughes, but Mm. it also uh, is kind of unnecessary to the plot of Brotherhood. So they just cut it out. Also, I think Mustang's introduction to Brotherhood is really weak in that they make him sort of a comic relief in the first episode. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's true. You don't really, 
but I wonder if it I wonder if it makes the payoff of his first truly badass moment in the show even stronger because it's like I don't know if I'd go so far as to call him like a buffoon in the beginning but you question his competency and then you reach um uh whatever episode it is in part two I think episode four of part two when um you no longer have those questions anymore about Mustang and that might be one of the best scenes of the whole show yeah it might be my favorite episode it's very good and it's it's um there's a give and take i think 2003 the in the you spend a lot more time with hughes and his family but 2003 spends a lot of time at azumi curtis's house which is in my opinion the weakest Mm. part of 2003 because then they then that's where they ran out of the manga okay but yeah you mentioned uh mace hughes and that brings me to uh one point i had while watching this show is that by the end i feel like not as many characters died as i expected them to but that doesn't mean that there weren't like strict consequences for the actions of all these characters and i really like when shows come up with consequences for characters that aren't necessarily death so i think about obviously mace hughes he's a big example of a death in the show but it literally drives everything afterwards Mm -hmm. at least in terms of the motivation of the heroes and then you think about alphonse's body that's the same instance like he doesn't die but him not having a body is basically the catalyst for why ed and al are involved in this story at all and even lawn fawn losing her arm as you mentioned like that puts her grandfather into a rage that then is paid off in the last few episodes when he ultimate when he ultimately battles king bradley so even though not a lot of death of heroes is in this show the deaths that there are and then the consequences that aren't necessarily death i still felt like viscerally and i it shows how confident they are and how much you grow to really love these characters and i think hughes's death might be one of the most one of the best executed deaths of a character in anything i've ever seen wow because you really get this hughes is at that point the only character that figured out what's going on Mm -hmm. and because of that all this progress that the main characters have made has stopped with the death of one of the most likable characters of the show yeah so like aside it's obviously an emotional like gut punch especially the way that they kill him off but it doesn't feel like shock. It doesn't feel like it's there to induce shock. It's there because it's it's the Vince Gilligan thing of like, what is the worst thing that could happen to our main characters right now? Yes. I feel like we return to the Vince Gilligan theory of screenwriting all the time. Because it's perfect. Just like, what's the worst thing that can happen to this character? Mm-hmm. His death was like, like you said, it was perfectly executed. Like, they really showed like the amount of desperation he had trying to get this out to someone. Um first going to the payphone inside the military base and be like no i have to use the payphone that's not monitored by the Mm -hmm. military and the government and just like it's very gut-wrenching when uh just like you see the face of his wife holding the gun and yeah it's just the amount of desperation that character had to go through to like try to get this message out but he couldn't it was crazy. And mm-hmm. even in that moment, it shows off the intelligent of all, intelligence of all the characters when Envy is made to look like Ross, and he's like, Ross has a mole under her right eye. 
yes. <laughs> it's it's just it's insane the amount of foresight that the creators had, and it leads into one of my favorite arcs of the whole show, which is uh, the framing of Ross Maria Ross. Oh my <sighs> god, I almost forgot about that. Which is like I remember as when I was watching this for the first time, I was on the edge of my seat. I could not put down this show at that point. Like even a little beforehand was like when I really, but like the Maria Ross stuff is at the beginning of the new manga stuff that wasn't in 2003. Wow. So it was like new content to you after watching 2003. Yeah. And if I were to recommend 2003, then brotherhood again, I would probably say to take a little bit of a break between the two shows because the beginnings are so similar. Yeah. But I feel like I should, I should say real quick, the circumstance between 2003 and brotherhood what happened maybe we should save it to the end when we kind of compare them because okay uh i'm excited to go through like the end of that arc as well like the end of the 2003 anime because bova doesn't know how it ends i do not oh did you never finish it i never watched a 2003 anime oh okay all right yeah yeah i will say a quick thing about the plot too is it's like despite being an action show there is not that much like so many moments that i remember on my rewatch keeping me totally glued to my seat were the political intrigue moments yeah so and i mean the show gives a ludicrous amount of time for character development and character depth but like i remember there was one episode where it was just getting every single major character up to speed with the promised day plot yes and they're passing the note around yeah and it was like it was genius havoc with the uh cigarette uh box with the note sticking out for mustang is like an anime shot that is like probably going to be ingrained in my brain forever like the ending shot of cowboy bebop that i can't really describe because no one else on this uh, podcast (laughs) has seen it yet um but yeah, just that whole sequence is so great. And the Mustang, like, burning it at the end. The way that he gives it to Armstrong as a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to move into the characters? Maybe there are so many great heroes and villains. I think it'd be valuable to kind of break it up and talk about uh, our favorite heroes, favorite hero moments, and then kind of move into the homunculi and father and whatnot. Let's start with Bova. <laughs> <laughs> put me on the spot um because i know your favorite character <laughs> my favorite character i think is a duo and it's the infamous duo of hawkeye and mustang hell yeah those two such great character arcs um just mustang's motivations to eventually become the country's fear takeover from uh fear bradley and hawkeye like when she starts like actually opening up to edward and to the viewer in the anime yeah it's so good that episode so much yes you really kind of feel for the characters because they went they went through so much stuff like you know killing innocent ishbalans and i love the theme of bags under their eyes throughout the episode Mm -hmm. that was a very good theme and that guy like, kind of came back a couple times for those two characters, like when Mustang when his, his, was in his fit of rage, wanting to yeah. kill Envy. Those bags on the eyes came back. Um, oh my god, I didn't notice that. <laughs> but those two characters are just so 
like even their fights like they're so badass mustangs just he snaps and then flames come out of his hands like it's so cool <laughs> and uh just hawkeye never missing a shot ever um and i just love the way those two work together too mm-hmm. um it's just such a great duo and probably a scene that's like ingrained in my mind from this anime is hawkeye assisting mustang after he lost his vision telling him which yeah. direction to aim his flames during the <laughs> final fight like it's just such a cool moment in that anime it's so good it drives home the theme of like these people are not unredeemable and these peoples are also victims of the military in this case yeah yeah they don't really know what they're fighting for and they they don't in the beginning yeah and they don't really figure it out until later in the show so it's um it's one of the smartest allegories for military i've ever seen as well because it doesn't (laughs) like it's very nuanced in that it's quick to not excuse it definitely doesn't excuse the actions of mustang and hawkeye but to sort of make their naive stances clear and then having their worldviews totally flipped around before the show even begins yeah to where loyalty to the military is something that when they were young they start with and then is gone by the time that they're that he's a colonel and then as the show moves on they actively begin to fight the military that they once fought for yeah and even mustang himself says he's like i am going to become fear so i can give power back to the people and then me and everyone else who fought in the fallen war should stand trial because we aren't heroes and the show clearly by the end kind of positions them as heroes but they're not as cut and dry as Ed and Al. I mean, I think those two and then I guess Winry are the only ones that are like clearly like moral, lawful good. Everyone else is somewhere on that scale. I mean, even Armstrong, he's clearly the one who's the most visibly distraught by what he was forced to do by the military. But he he carries that with him everywhere through the show and with every action he does. And he's like considered yeah. the deserter too because he refused to fight. It's it's this, yeah he's like looked down upon like he's a mostly comedic relief character that still has this uh, deep and interesting character arc because then he finally gets his redemption moment when he's fighting sloth and onward when he during the promise day like that's his redemption yeah. he doesn't leave like he finds something worth fighting for he does yeah his introduction to the fight against sloth was so good <laughs> it was oh, such a great moment of that anime remind me uh how he's introduced in that fight well his sister um olivia armstrong yeah was basically on the verge of death if sloth hit her one more time and just like the music cues and then you hear like the boxing ring noise and then you just see his <laughs> fist come out of nowhere and just clock sloth in the face it's so good <laughs> it's so good i remember that shot now that you say it but i didn't remember that that was the first time you see him in that sequence mm-hmm. the <sighs> show has this amazing ability to bring back characters and ideas without making them feel like fan service like by the promise day almost every major character is there and they have a reason to be there yeah yeah they're not just there even because ross and fury and like some of the like not secondary characters but yeah, I guess secondary characters, even the more like uh, less 
prioritized by the plot. Mm-hmm. And they like the way that the entire they the way that the characters think through the entire promise day and the writers by extension like mm-hmm. it's the politics of a political of a coup of a military coup the like social and cultural aspect of the radio station being the way that the populace is listening to this the aspect of whoever side the people are on is the side that they perceive the Fuhrer is on. So Mustang's group tricks them into thinking that the Fuhrer is dead and the higher ups are trying to uh, take control of the military in his absence. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just so intelligently thought through. Yeah. The fact that they don't kill people too. The fact that they don't like Mustang's group specifically doesn't is trying not to kill soldiers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan, who's your favorite character and some of your favorite moments for the characters in general? I I think Ed is one of the strongest protagonists in a story. Mm-hmm. And in relation to other action anime, he is he gets by like he is not a boring character at all. Like no. there's sort of the Luke Skywalker syndrome where it's like the main character is a blank <laughs> slate and then the secondary characters are the cool characters. Yeah. Like Ed has a very clear personality that shines through in every scene he's in. And he's also not like the he's not the strongest character. Like he has a strong contender for being one of the smartest characters of the show, which is why he is effective in most fights is because he's smarter yeah. than the person he's fighting. But like he he admits in the show that even his younger brother is stronger than him. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that moment is so good when he's fighting the guy and he's like, yeah, and I sent, uh, what does he say? He's like, I'm stronger than the guy out fighting your brother. And he's like, that's good because I've never beaten my brother once. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. And, and he's got, he carries this guilt with him. I always, yeah. I thought it, I texted Clayton this when I finished the show for the second time. I find it so interesting that Ed pretty much has the beginning moments and the last moments of the show. Like he is the begin he is the last shot of Fullmetal Alchemist. They could have chosen to have the final shot be the family photo. Mm-hmm. But the final yeah. shot is him getting on the train. And I love also the way that all, almost all the openers end with them walking on the train tracks. Yeah. He's he's a strong character because his intelligence is valued over his strength. He it's very mm-hmm. interesting as compared to the other characters in the plot. He doesn't need to be in every scene or in every mentioned in every scene for the plot to continue. And he has a very clear motivation. And once that motivation is achieved, he doesn't seek out anymore. Like he's content by the end of the show. Yeah. He doesn't even seem particularly distraught by the end that he lost his alchemy you know like he acknowledges it could help him fix the roof and uh, help him in his everyday life but it really becomes about the community the brotherhood if you will (laughs) that he surrounds himself with and he like he looks out at the hills in risenbull and he's like but it was worth it it's like yeah yeah it's such a good moment and if there's one critique i have for some of the writing i think it's just with anime in general for me is they they tend to over explain things Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah but i was thankful that they by the end of the sh- by by the end by the falling action point or it's like the 
the resolution point, like they sort of left things up to be unsaid. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, like to that point of over explaining things, if there was like one thing I could maybe cut from the show, it would be the fact that, and this is so nitpicky, which is totally showing how awesome this show is overall. I would cut the fact that like every single character, we hear their inner monologue at a point. Like, okay, Scar, like Scar's a per- perfect person for us to hear it every now and then. Obviously, Ed and Al, their protagonist. But like, I swear to God, the Chimeras, we hear their inner monologue sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is not necessary. Like, it'll be like, if that sword hit my head, I would die. I'm like, yeah, I, can, I can see that. It's so unnecessary. It's like, I, again, I would be okay if it was just Ed and Al. And, like, yeah. maybe Mustang or some other, like, main-ish characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know why every character... I don't know why Scar needs it while fighting. Like, I, I don't know if he did it while fighting Bradley. But, like, this show has a tendency to see to, and it stopped bothering me by the end. But once a character defeats someone or, like, realizes the weakness of someone, they explain that weakness to said person. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, when Ed is fighting Greed, and he's like, well, your body's made of carbon... <laughs> <laughs> and it's like why do you have to I, I don't know i kind of like that moment it's yeah it's fun it's just sort of like or the pride moment where he's like well you can't fight in the dark it's like why would you tell them that why would you reveal that <laughs> yeah yeah reveal that you know that i'd say for me not to like be a copycat but if i had to pick one my favorite character's got to be mustang it's not that he goes on an arc necessarily like his goal in the beginning is the same as his goal at the end but you see him like start to waver from that arc and he either pulls himself back or he has to be pulled back by other people like you mentioned the moment with envy when he's really letting his anger control him the way the story unfolds around his character and his ultimate mission and the fact that he isn't as pure good as Ed and Al, I found him the most interesting and the most relatable and one of the most badass characters. But it's another thing where, like, whenever someone asks me my favorite character, I have to start going down the list, right? Because I, I really love Al, too. I love Hawkeye, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Ling, um, Greed. I guess those are somewhat one the same, <laughs> but they're individual characters as well. Armstrong, both. Olivia, uh, both Armstrongs exactly. are both really good. Yeah, Olivia's really high up for me. Yeah, so there was never a moment where I was like, okay, can we get back to like the characters I care about? Like you definitely feel that in Game of Thrones, which is probably even though we've talked about The Last Airbender a lot, Game of Thrones is probably the most comparable show in my opinion. Um there were moments where it's like, okay, we get it Arya's training by like random people, random faceless people in the east. Like let's get back to Jon Snow, like what's happening with him. Mm-hmm. But I never thought that once with any of these characters but at the same time i never felt like i got enough of each character because i wanted more of everyone one one character you i heard you talk about a lot like you want more of this character was scar yes scar, oh my god i can't believe i <laughs> forgot him in my list he might be my number two character <laughs> he's scar so is he's so good and he like i don't want to give saga away which when i make you two read saga hopefully soon um maybe we'll have a podcast on that because i think that's probably my favorite story ever told ever um there's a character that's very similar to scar in the sense of like in the beginning you meet him as having a goal of killing our protagonist basically and then their story meanders and goes in its own path 
and then it returns to coinciding with the main characters. And I don't want to give anything away about Saga, but this character picks a very different route than Scar picks. So having those two things that are really analogous for me of bad guy goes off and does some side quests basically and then comes back changed, mm-hmm. being able to compare that to Saga was so cool. And I think that is what made me like pull the book off my bookcase and be like, read this, please. Yeah. <laughs> um just like one thing I want to bring up real quick, like we've talked so much about all these characters and like a lot about the uh just the plot and the politics in a uh, Full Metal Alchemist, but we haven't even mentioned Hohenheim yet, who is another <laughs> integral part to the story. Like yeah, it, it just shows how in depth this writing is and how many moving parts there are to just this entire story. Mm-hmm. He might be the most important character to like the overall story of the show. Yeah, one of hundred percent yeah probably i feel like they couldn't have done it without any of the characters but they most of which probably hohenheim yeah and it's weird hohenheim and scar it's basically like i feel like no one ever stops and considers the fact that uh the main character's dad is basically the like most important historical figure of this entire universe of this entire planet mm-hmm. yeah like they're the reason that alchemy is a thing like both him and yeah, father basically. yeah him and father and ryan you um you told me about you texted me about uh the fact that father is this imitation of hohenheim i wonder if you could expand on that point because it really like cleared up one of the not flaws but one of the kind of quality questions i had related to the show yeah so like the way i view the homunculus arcs is that they always they they look down on humans they see humans as lesser and yet they are imitations of humans like uh the dwarf in the flask or father is such an unoriginal and unknowledgeable uh, character that he yeah. copies the first human he sees <laughs> yeah like they they want this incredible power but they do not know how to yield it outside of the context of their humanity and when they try and shed mm-hmm. their humanity is the reason that they fail or the reason that they are lesser beings to the humans yeah and something i noticed i think we should now move into the uh, kind of villains talk the characters we'd love to hate in this show um something i noticed about the end and i may be like stretching here is i feel like many of the main characters end up facing off against the homunculi that exhibit kind of their worst traits and the reason the humans the heroes are able to prevail is because they learn from their mistakes and their journey and they aren't just embodiments of this one flaw like i think ed starts the show and is pretty prideful through the whole show about like his skill in alchemy his height is how they kind of portray it comedically but he's very filled with pride and by the end he's able to acknowledge the fact that he's short and understand how pride who is also short will fight and he uses that shedding of ego to kind of defeat this embodiment of maybe his work's characteristic and then another person where this analogy is really obvious i feel like is scar uh channeling his rage to the correct enemy of wrath essentially in an 
analogy or a synonym for rage, right? And he's able to defeat Wrath and Wrath's plans because he forgives Amestris and works towards undoing the um, transmutation circle. So if these characters were stuck in their flaws that we see at the beginning of the show, they wouldn't have been successful by the end. I never even thought about that. <laughs> it's so it's so on the nose when it's said out loud that I yeah. would not. It falls apart with some of them. Like who defeats Gluttony? No one. No one's really glad. Oh wait, does Ling defeat Gluttony? No, it's Pride. Pride ate Gluttony. Oh, it's Pride. Duh. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, Ling like, cuts him in half. Roy's lust for power. That's kind of a stretch. Yeah. But no, I I can I, see I, that. Though. I totally see that at least with wrath and ed and by at that or wrath and pride and that by that point those are like the only two homunculus left so it makes a lot of sense oh ling is very like is greedy in that he wants to be the emperor yes yeah yeah you're so right mm -hmm. but in that one like That's his true. greed is almost validated in a way yeah because yeah. he's like he's greedy for the right reasons almost like he wants he wants to be king because he thinks he's right for it and he cares for his people with the show makes clear. And you could argue about the ethics of that, but within that construct, he is the right person for that role. And he, he's greedy for it. Like you say, he longs for it, but he doesn't shed that greed. He uses it to his advantage to motivate him to fight for his people. And the way that the show uses greed specifically as the one homunculus that is to a certain extent good is mm -hmm. so interesting to me because all of the characters like are greedy for something. They all want something they don't have. Yeah. And so like the way that like Mustang wants to be pure, Ed and Al want their bodies back. Uh, mm -hmm. Greed wants, or sorry, Ling wants to be the emperor, you know, like all of the major characters are want something and so when when ed is walking away and greed's talking to him and greed's like you know greed isn't that bad of a thing we're we all want something we don't have and it's like that's yeah. it's it's such a great way of because by making the seven deadly sins the enemy uh, or the antagonists you would assume that the show would vilify sin be sinly behavior or sinful mm -hmm. behavior but like it doesn't necessarily and that i find very fascinating i think the only thing maybe stronger than the plot in this show is the characters the characters are so insanely yeah. strong and just another point on that greed argument like i really do like where the show ultimately comes down because not to go full gordon gecko and say like greed is good um but I don't really like the notion that, like, again, Game of Thrones or even just the real life has where it's like, oh, he should be king because he doesn't want it. <laughs> you know, like, we should want our leaders to want this responsibility, you know? I don't want someone in the role of president who doesn't want to be president, you yeah. know? Like, they should want to do the job and do the job well. And again, that plays into, like, Ling's ultimate motivation of having greed for power but because you're the right person for it and you see that there's a change that has to happen i mean you could say a similar thing about mustang too mm -hmm. in the show yeah. power isn't 
a corrupting force it's a revealing force like once a character gets power it reveals what they would do with that power yeah that's a good point um i'll say real quick that i think envy is my favorite homunculus i love his like he's so manipulative and it's like and as like i say homunculus as in the villain ones because i love greed too like greed yeah. greed's probably my favorite but like my favorite villain in the show is definitely either envy or bradley because like envy is such a malicious uh manipulative figure of the show and then yeah and bradley is like has the depth of like being used for the military and like the only thing he really got to choose in his in his entire life is his wife who doesn't even know anything that's going on Who's your favorite homunculi boba? I drew with Ryan, Envy. Um, just like the whole plot line that gets revealed to you, like Envy started the Shvalon Civil War, he's the one that shot the child. Like just that character is so mischievous and so just such a good villain. Um mm-hmm. and like we've mentioned before, like when he kills Hughes, turns into Hughes' wife. Just and like there there are times in the anime where it's like did this character that just i saw are they envy actually like you started to second guess yourself like as the viewer i have and a, i have a little story so well done yeah when i was watching the show for the first time there was this one-off line that's supposed to reveal that winry's getting attracted to ed which is as ed's walking away winry in her like inner monologue says did his shoulders get broader and me as a ninth <laughs> grader was like oh fuck that's envy and then and that was the last episode i'd watched that night and the entire next day i had exams and i was just thinking about it all day and then it never happened i'm not gonna lie ryan i had that too the very first time i watched the show it's so like when you oh it's so it's just like i couldn't recognize the the love interest aspect and i was just like oh fuck more plot (laughs) It's so, like, once you introduce a character who has the ability to transform how they look, like, all bets are off. Yeah. Like, nothing else that happens is, you know, 100% to have actually happened <laughs> the way it seems, you know? We've only talked about, like, Envy, like, transforming other people. What about his true form? It's Ugh. so ugly, but wow. They've really did a good job, like animating that and bringing that to life. Mm-hmm. My gosh! Yeah, I remember. It's ho- truly horrifying. Yeah, I remember it being the animation looking worse when I was younger, but when I rewatched it now, I was like, "Oh, it looks great!" Like it's the frame rate's different, but otherwise, like it looks really good. Yeah, it's a little bit different than the rest of the show, but it's pretty good. Yeah, and like you mentioned that it looks bad, Ryan. Uh, before you rewatched it, but after we had met Envy's true form. I was like, I really don't think it looks that bad. Like, you could tell it was CGI. But maybe that's because we were coming off of Avatar The Last Airbender, where it's like the CGI in that show looks bad. And it's used very, very sparingly, but it looks really bad. And I think it was just a, like... I think there are anime shows coming out now that don't look as good as Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood does. 100%, yeah. Like, I cannot imagine the budget on this show. Yeah. Because, like, 2003 was successful. The manga is very successful. Like, there's no reason that this... Sh- and it's only... It's, like, compared to other shonen, it's pretty short. Yeah. So, like, having... Explosions look so good. 
Yeah, they look <laughs> insanely good, which is very important when one of your characters is uh, nicknamed the Flame Alchemist. But <laughs> True, yeah. They look incredible. Before we move into themes real quick, um, or I guess I should say my favorite homunculus. I was just going to skip over myself. <laughs> Maybe it's because I didn't really think of one before this, but I think if I had to pick one, it would be Wrath, King Bradley. He's the most interesting probably him and lust i find really really interesting and are, are my top two favorite villains but he's also like man does it feel good when he's defeated like it's the same of uh bellatrix lestrange getting not my daughter you bitch from uh the father the mother of the weasleys you know like it's a character you love to hate so much being killed in such a badass way by a character you genuinely love yeah what a perfect way to end off wrath is have him go up against scar uh what an epic battle that was just these two like they're not the strongest characters in the anime but they're if you if like father and hohenheim or s tier these guys are a tier and it was such a good battle mm-hmm. in terms of like strength yes. s and a tier yeah. yeah yeah that's true and the way that like wrath gets his final like semi-human moment yeah yeah but he's like aren't his like last words like wow you pathetic losers <laughs> yeah something. yeah pretty much but like i love that who who walks up to um someone walks up to him and says like he died too peacefully or something along those lines greed oh yeah, yeah. that's another thing is i love the dynamic of greed being reborn like thousands of times and every time wrath having to be the one that kills him and when it's new greed he doesn't have all these memories but wrath is just like oh i'm probably gonna have to kill this one too (laughs) and just that dynamic i thought was so fun and they only really they just kind of like allude to it like wrath is like how many times we're gonna do this greed yeah and then he just talks to the ling greed like nothing ever happened (laughs) yeah so but it's like the the thing for greed too when he finally realizes like he what he wanted was a group of friends and his previous self realized that and so like in in each or the assumption then is in each iteration if he can leave the homunculus and find a group of people that he actually like loves that's him being free of father's power Mm -hmm. yeah it really it really returns to that idea you brought up ryan like there's a quote from a uh, Kave Akbar poem I like where it's envy is the only sin that's no fun for the sinner I feel like greed is the only of these seven deadly sins that could probably have a meaningful impact like we've talked about a greed for a group of friends you know mm-hmm. yeah real quick before we move into themes how did you guys feel about the humor of this show overall I think I'll start with you Boba because you have a lot of anime experience that feels like an insult <laughs> if i say that anime experience <laughs> but it, it's true at least at least more than me compared to like every other anime that i've watched it's probably up there in terms of comedy it's not like fantastic in comedy i don't think but like it does it pretty well lots of other animes are very fan servicey when it comes to comedy so yeah. there's usually like a nude girl or something and then someone's nose starts bleeding and that's like your classic anime comedy but uh wow but my alchemist they they go more in depth they have like more solid jokes than like the classic anime will have um mm-hmm. 
I can't think of any specific examples at the moment, but I I overall liked the comedy aspect. It kind of broke things up every now and then. Yeah. Because you'd get off of like a really intense episode, then next episode starts off with like your main characters being their like their usual selves with each <laughs> other, just like the poorly drawn Alphonse. <laughs> oh, and, I love it. And the giant suit. It's so cute and so. <laughs> it's so funny. really good. <laughs> I go back and forth with the comedy, because like I think as a kid you know you're embarrassed by everything you enjoy um (laughs) so i was a little embarrassed like showing it to people or recommending it to people on the comedy especially because i'm not a huge slapstick fan rewatching it it's not as prevalent as i once thought it was Mm. and as it goes on the stop the joke stops being the the joke stops being the slapstick and starts being the things around the slapstick where it's like the one time when when Winry realizes Ed broke his auto mail and like the background is like super nice and then it starts becoming this like demon <laughs> and it's like super <laughs> yeah. realistically illustrated or like when she hits that uh, Clay mentioned this before when she when uh she hits Ed with the hammer uh, with the wrench and Ed's soul starts leaving and Alphonse is like I've <laughs> yeah, got your how? soul brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is without a doubt my favorite joke maybe i've ever seen in an anime it is so funny and before that moment i had been like yeah i could take or leave the humor and then that moment i was like okay that was that was really good and then it kind of uh it won me over at that point i probably also got better but once you like fall in love with the characters you can handle a little like slapstick and silliness you know i'd say it started off like very very heavily short jokes true it started off very heavily short jokes and as the characters got more you learn more about the characters i feel like the jokes got almost as if like it was an inside joke between me and you clayton or like after knowing each other for a few years Mm -hmm. it's like i i think it kind of had like that development like you would have with a friend yeah that's a really good way to put it there are two sections that i think really work comedically one is when like because in the first 2003 series, we get a lot of just Edward being the full metal alchemist and helping random people. Uh, we get a lot of Avatar type episodes, and that's not really in Brotherhood. But in place of that, we get this like when they're trying to get Scar out, and so like Ed and Al start going around and helping random people, and like Ed's <laughs> making a big thing of it, and then Al in the like really sillily drawn like uh way that she draws him is holding these like japanese (laughs) flags and dancing in the background (laughs) it's so enjoyable and then the other one was when with uh, yoki and the usewell incident when it's a 1930 like a 1940s black and white film Mm -hmm. i thought that that was i wish they had done that more because i love that sequence i think it's amazing and it's the best way to because like in the first series, it's a filler episode, but it kind of shows like that Ed is willing to push his moral boundaries in order to do something that he thinks will help people, mm-hmm. and it shows that he and it shows off his intelligence, and to have that gone, and also the fact that Yoki is a major character in this or a semi-major character, and he's not a one-off character like he is in two thousand three. Yeah, in this series, you're missing development. So like, I'm sure when he shows up with at the Ishval camp you're like who is this guy why should i care about them yeah, yeah definitely with that i think we should move into some of the themes discussion that we've definitely like touched on along the way but i want to dive deeper because i feel like it is 
a really strong part of the show, like every part. <laughs> um, but Ryan, I wanted to start with you with this because we did some conversation as you were rewatching it about some of the themes and you had some really insightful uh, kind of opinions and thoughts on how it relates like theology and secularism and that gray line between them. So I was curious your thoughts on uh, those themes or just any themes with the show. Yeah, I think... I mean, this show is packed with themes. Like, mm-hmm. a cra- if there is an idea, Fullmetal Alchemist touches on it. And some of them I discovered upon the rewatch, and some of them I knew beforehand because I'd seen the Wisecrack philosophy video. And to go on the Wisecrack video, the show makes its stance on religion very clear, which is religious extremism is a force used to, for people in power to stay in power. Yeah which is not necessarily something new explored in media, but the thing that Fullmetal Alchemist does that I haven't seen explored otherwise in some other places, but not as heavily as it's explored in Fullmetal Alchemist, is that it takes that same ideology and applies it to science, where it's saying like, okay, who does the science benefit? Who's backing the science? Where's the money coming from? Why is the, is the science governed by the state what does the state have to do with it? You know, it starts to ask questions about who science serves and why science yeah. serves those people. And so to take those same criticism towards religion and apply it to scientific examinations or practices, I think is genius. And it doesn't negate science. It doesn't say science is inimportant, unimportant, and it doesn't say that science is morally wrong what it says is science in the wrong hands is morally wrong or can be morally wrong and then another big theme of the show i think there's the three major themes is science and religion uh Mm -hmm. the government and the role the government serves and how governments function and how things like particularly in the show racism and xenophobia exist for people empowered to stay in power and that these systems perpetuate these this oppression to keep people in power in power for a more insidious motive. In the case of mm-hmm. Full Metal Alchemist, it's to kill everyone in the country. <laughs> so maybe yeah. it's a bit... To become God. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's a bit much. But saying that systems of oppression exist to benefit people in power is also something that I don't see very often. Especially since... I feel like often, especially in Western media, there is a tendency, except for recently, but there is a tendency to to frame racism and xenophobia as an individual problem that individual people perpetuate and individual people face and isn't a Mm -hmm. like like crash, you know, yeah, versus a system of oppression with a very clear goal in mind. And then the other thing which I think ties into this is the value of community, both in the personal mm-hmm. stance of how, how all of these people fulfill different aspects of each other's lives that they were missing. And in some cases fully change their character and their morals. And then also in the broad scheme of politic community resulting in political action. When, a, yeah. when the community figures, when the community realizes that the government does not work for them, the community will then rise to overthrow said government and establish their own yeah even the the constitution that uh 
conservatives and people like to quote so much says explicitly like once the government stops meeting the needs of the people it's the people's not just right but responsibility to overthrow and change that government you know yeah. and this is putting that belief into practice really yeah and full metal alchemist is able to say like in order to fight system systems of oppression you need radical change and then also say mm -hmm. that once that radical change comes there is also a degree of rebuilding that needs to take place where mistakes will happen yeah yeah like like it it makes i mean as a leftist i fell in love with it <laughs> yeah but the politics of the show are so clear and so well stated in a way that never feels heavy-handed or rarely feels heavy-handed and yeah the allegories by which it functions are certainly extreme in that like you know i don't think i don't think racism exists to become for one person to become god but racism does exist for said group of people to say, which is why I see government officials. If for the allegory of the show, the government officials aren't necessarily, or the systems of oppression aren't necessarily father, but the people who in the military who go along with it because they want immortality. Yeah. 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 Like King Bradley, he doesn't care at the end of the day that the ish fallen look different than the people of Amestris, even though like that's obviously like, a charged reason for the attack that happens on Ishfall. Like, he just cares about power. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's these political higher-ups um, that want to maintain power, both in the show and real life. They have a squabble over these things that shouldn't matter at the end of the day because it distracts us from the power and the system of oppression that they're perpetuating and maintaining. If, if like father and homunculus are an allegory for the system and the higher ups who want immortality are examples of people who perpetuate the system for personal gain, then the conclusion they come to at the end when Al is like, it's not equivalent exchange for not taking one and giving one we're taking, or yeah, we're not taking one and, taking 10 and giving 10 we're taking 10 and giving 11 where it's like ultimately yeah. altruism is the path of success and the most moral path mm -hmm. and it just it, it it it's so smart and it doesn't feel naive like the way the show talks about it doesn't feel naive and the characters by the end especially and now don't feel naive in their beliefs anymore yeah, I want. I definitely want to return to that point of naivete, but first I want to jump to Bova, and I'm curious what themes of the show, either that Ryan's mentioned or otherwise, that really kind of stuck with you. One thing that was pretty crazy to me um, on the rewatch was just, I think we mentioned this before, just like the parallels to fascism Yeah, um, that this uh, country was uh, taking on, and it was kind of kind of creepy just kind of comparing that to fascism that we see in the republican party going on <laughs> the past four years mm -hmm. um like you said before like just the lengths that like some people go to to stay in power which is very prevalent in fascism but mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean you guys have hit on some pretty good themes i don't know if i have anything new to bring up it's definitely like what's so scary about that theme of fascism is it's almost like the crucible in a sense where it's like arthur miller wrote that 
in the 50s about something, but then it became relevant again uh, multiple times throughout history. Like, not the most recent, but one of the most prevalent was, like, 2001, like, obviously referring to um, Muslims and their persecution in the U.S. after uh, 9-11. I think it's similar with Ishfal, where it's, like, in 2003, when it was being written, she was probably referring to, like, after crises in Afghanistan and whatnot. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Um, but now I feel like I see the parallels in like Palestine. Uh, mm-hmm. And it feels like it's almost beating it over the head, but it probably isn't that because that was less in the conversation, to my knowledge, in 2011 or 2003. I heard that she was influenced by both the American occupation of the Middle East and the Japanese government um, withholding land from uh, natives in her area uh, where she lived okay and it's interesting another interesting part to me is the fact that like she is she comes from like a dairy farm you know like she grew <laughs> up on a dairy farm and so like there is this idyllic aspiration towards like the rural landscape that Ed and Al come from and and the way that the show wraps up everything in that sort of like peaceful unurbanized area there's this there's this love for nature in the show as well like this love for the the natural that becomes very clear especially in the one is all and all is one episode Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that like is not it's great yeah we talked about that a lot in my uh anime class actually is that in the west it's like we are humans and then there is nature and we are separate entities. And the Eastern is a much more like fluid vision of that. Like you see that in their architecture, the way it's just a sliding door is what separates um, the outside from the inside. Whereas, um, or you also see that their manifestations of like werewolf mythology and just a bunch of stuff. And yeah, that's a really good point of, it's almost like starting in the Shire and then returning to the Shire, a changed person, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that using nature and the natural world as like a ground setting instrument almost is really effective. And I will also say, cause we've talked a lot about the uh, fascism aspect of the <laughs> themes. The theme that resonated the most with me is <laughs> Ryan knows that our family often asks uh, me, Ethan and Ryan, like, but don't you believe in a higher power? Like, don't you got to believe in something and i've always felt like my response to that is the higher power i believe in is collective humanity you know like community and the power that multiple individuals can accomplish when working together as opposed to working individualistically and that's not really shown in a lot of western media that i've seen at least it's often luke skywalker is the chosen one and he's got a ragtag band of buddies that's going to help him win. But it's ultimately up to him, that chosen one narrative, that uh, hero's journey narrative, where if this is like the brotherhood that they form, it wouldn't be possible without Ed. It also wouldn't be possible without Scar or uh, Greed or going all the way down to Maria Ross and Fury and the people that we don't get to know intimately but still play like a major important role and yes brotherhood refers to the elric brothers but it also refers to 
this community of 50 plus characters that all play an essential role in building a better world for their country yeah and that's ultimately like the last team the show like really sits on when uh, when ed's in the gate of truth and he gives up his gate and he's like well who needs alchemy when i've got them yeah and it's like it's it's so like we in the west are hyper obsessed with the individual and the way that like it's not a chosen one narrative ed isn't the only thing that makes ed particularly special is that he's smart and good at alchemy and otherwise he is otherwise he is a unspectacular character in this universe i would say his morality too but yeah yeah and his morality definitely but like his um i mean being the son of hohenheim doesn't even really matter in this case where it would be like sort of a chosen one narrative where it's like oh the son of hohenheim defeated father (laughs) um edward palpatine (laughs) (laughs) the show doesn't think twice about it because it's ultimately unimportant to the character of edward that he is the related to the homunculi in a way like what matters is that and they still give ed his moment where he is the badass that kills father but like even throughout that entire fight everyone else is fighting father at different points too like you mentioned blind roy mustang shooting fire at him and injured hawkeye being like a little more to the left yeah (laughs) and it's like all the armstrong uh all of these characters especially like all the major alchemists in the show edward like they're all fighting him greed greed like gives Mm -hmm. the last blow that edward needs to defeat him and then ed and then al gives back edward's arm so that they could defeat him like they're willing to make sacrifices for each other and for the greater good yeah 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 one thing that like guess really outlines the community aspect is uh just like you're saying that final fight um when ed is going to town on father just (laughs) everybody else shouting and like support for ed and tell him to go for it it's such a like emotional moment almost just because like oh here are all these characters that i know and love and they're all supporting ed Mm -hmm. it's almost like they're helping him fight motivate him and yeah it's just what a great community characters because another show or movie would have like they're off uh destroying the death star and then you have like father versus ed and you cut back and forth whereas this is like everyone gets their moment fighting uh father yeah and then ed does that final blow basically and before everybody got a blow in yeah Yeah. and before ed brings al back he's looking at like everyone around him and he's like this is another thing where the comedy is like where the where the tone is really interesting because he's looking at everyone and it's like mustang hawkeye may mr gorilla (laughs) 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 and it's like it's like the comedy becomes sentimental and like his first thought of course he's thinking about Al, but also his thought is like look at all these people what can i do if i can't bring him back all these people who care about us i need to bring him back for not just for me but for them too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you mentioned mr gorilla and that reminds me of another point i wanted to make uh surrounding the themes of this show is that there were a handful of times where i would be annoyed with the show for like where i thought it was going so i think about the introduction of ling i was like 
okay, who are these characters I don't care about at first, which is so naive and saying that now. Or I think about like the Chimeras joining the team or just kind of the general inclination to show mercy on the part of the Elric brothers. I always thought like, you're being naive. Like just let Mustang kill Envy. Just kill these Chimeras and don't deal with them. And every time I thought something like this, I was ultimately proven wrong. Like, I grew to love Ling and Lanfon and even Lanfon's grand- grandfather. And the Chimeras, you really, like, feel for them by the end. I wouldn't say they're, like, my favorite characters or anything, but I'm grateful they joined the team and, like, kind of get a final moment with Al. And the game preventing Mustang from ultimately going full berserk by killing Envy, I realized that it's not necessarily about whether Envy lives or dies. It's about whether or not Mustang has the right to kill her. And I think it it poses, it being Full Matter Alchemist Brotherhood, Brotherhood poses these questions that are really, really difficult. But it is so confident in what it believes that it almost lets you make the argument against it and then shows you why actually the way we think is right. And you end up believing it by the end, or at least I did as someone who feels who used to be like, yes, always show mercy. And now is much more cynical. (laughs) Um, It it was a good reminder of the power of that and how it isn't necessarily naive. I think in full metal, the only characters that are unredeemable are the characters that are willing to give up their humanity. Like the higher ups that want mortality, immortality and the, um, the homunculus who have already given up their immortality with the exception of greed, who is, who is yeah. inhuman and striving to become more human throughout the series. It's like that mm-hmm. though. Those are the characters that are redeemable. That's why scar is redeemable. That's why these chimeras are redeemable. That's why it, it's, that's why greed is redeemable because they are, because humans are moral and power is immoral to a certain extent or like what you do with that power is immoral i th- i think that also just the fact that like ed and al don't kill not kill because killing is wrong they don't kill because they understand the value of a human life because of their attempt to yeah. bring their mother back yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's a that's a really excellent point and one of the main drivers of the show we are running a little long and as much as it feels like the themes is a great place to kind of end it with the show because the themes are so strong i do want to pay off the bit of kind of comparing it to 2003 in the manga so i also wanted to get bova's reaction on record because he doesn't know how the two <laughs> do you care if we talk about how the 2003 one ends no i don't care okay um so ryan maybe could you give us a brief synopsis of from when uh, the 2003 show and Brotherhood diverged to ultimately how it concludes. Because it is, when you told me how it ends, I thought it was bonkers. <laughs> yeah. So what Full Metal Alchemist, so 2003 series is a much more pensive and morally gray series than Brotherhood. Yeah. And ultimately the it trades the very large and grand story for brotherhood 
to delve deeper into specifically the relationship between Ed and Al. And there are a lot of aspects that they just didn't know. So the main driving force of the plot and like the villain of the plot, uh, their character's name is Dante. And she is, and at this point it's clear that the Philosopher's Stone is used as human lives. Yeah. And so Dante and Hohenheim were former lovers and they discovered immortality by using the stone and dante is essentially in like the father role of the show yeah because okay. it's also like dante is also to a certain like in charge of bradley essentially and she's mm-hmm. the one who creates the homunculus homunculus are made from human transmutations so in this show sloth is trisha elric or what used to be trisha elric oh my god yeah and so the reason that the military is making is does Ishval and does these atrocities is to create more philosopher's stones so that Dante can stay immor- immortal forever. Mm-hmm. So it it sort of has the same themes of like military oppression. There are some minor changes too. Roy is the one who kills Winry's parents. Oh my god! He's ordered to kill them. And it's it's wow. a dark show. Like yeah. There's a scene I totally forgot where after Roy kills Renier's parents, he points the gun to himself and Marco stops him. Jeez. Yeah. So, and and one of the more interesting changes is Scar to where the person that used to be Lust, um, both Scar and Scar's brother were in love with. Mm-hmm. And uh, she dies... And Scar's brother attempts to bring her back using alchemy. And mm-hmm. so that is... And so Lust gets a much more prominent role in this series. Like, she's probably mm-hmm. the main character of the... Her and maybe Envy. And so... That's kind of cool. Yeah, so what... I uh, miss Lust. <laughs> so Scar's redemption is the opposite of Brotherhood's, where in Brotherhood, he chooses to find a different path and not let his hate consume him mm-hmm. in the in 2003 he considers himself irredeemable of his sins so he basically like there a large part of the show is centered around Ishval and so Scar basically creates a philosopher's stone and infuses it to Al's body mm-hmm. and kills like 7000 soldiers in the process jesus yeah christ it's it's a lot there's a lot going on in 2003 and edward and then al gets kidnapped by the homunculus because he's they want to use him as a philosopher's stone ed dies Mm -hmm. trying to rescue him al uses the philosopher's stone to bring him back and in the process al becomes human again but ed passes through the gate of truth and in this universe, mm-hmm. the gate of truth, he, when he passed through the gate of truth, he comes to 1930s Germany. Isn't that wild? And the show, the show <laughs> ends with Al, Al. Also, Al loses his memories before. or sorry, Yeah, so he loses his memories of the show. He basically, he's younger and he's basically the age his body would have been. So he's like a young boy trapped inside of a 14-year-old's body. I th- yeah, he doesn't remember the events of the show. 
and oh my God. Edward is in Earth, is in Nazi Germany. Is that, is that the catalyst in the movie you were talking to me, talking to me about? Yeah. Or... Oh, so we did talk a little about it a little bit. Yeah. The show ends kind of vaguely with this, like, Ed is going to continue, is going to try and find a way to get back to Amestris. Both Ed and yeah. Al are going to try and find a way to get Ed back to Amestris. So that's how 2003 ends. And then the movie afterwards, Conqueror of Shambhala, is like the proper end of the show. And I, I don't see. remember it all too well. It's like a wing of the Nazis discover alchemy and try to use it for the war. And Ed has to stop them. Oh, my God. It It's not... People have been harsh on the ending of the original series and Mm -hmm. i think the munich germany thing is kind of insane and ridiculous but for the most part it goes over much better watching the show because it certainly fits the themes of the show Mm -hmm. and like it decides to explore different themes than brotherhood did and so Mm -hmm. in the first show where it seems like a detour and a bittersweet ending but it doesn't necessarily feel ridiculous. In Conqueror of Shambhala, they really go all out with it, which is why people sort of don't look back on that movie very favorably. Uh. Um, I don't. I haven't seen it in a very long time. But the way that that movie ends, they create a portal that can. They they basically find a way to cross the the gate of truth, and so mm-hmm. they can cross between Amestris and Earth, I suppose. <laughs> and the way, and so they defeat the enemy. Ed ends up still stuck in Germany, but like the wreckage of the ship that they were they were using, uh, they find Al, and so now Al is in Germany with Ed, uh, and that's how Fullmetal Alchemist 2003 ends. Wow, it's a it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers, but it's not. It's it, it's a good ending in 2003. So if you want a more pensive show with a strong start, but kind of an different finish uh maybe 2003 is for you and if you want something that starts a little rocky but ends really solid and is about community and it's more entertaining as well as as well as being thematically rich um brotherhood might be for you if you're trying to decide which to watch and you made it this far you didn't listen to me at the beginning by saying you shouldn't listen to this if you haven't seen these shows um but if that happens to be the case i'm sure all three of us would highly highly recommend it any closing thoughts from you guys before we uh wrap up here i think if you have the time you should watch 2003 and i think the viewing order should be 2003 conquer shambhala give it like a week or two break and then brotherhood and then sacred star of milos is kind of filler you can watch it if you want i mean it's more full metal alchemists which i can't complain um that's the order i yeah. watched it in and I just wanted so much more of this universe at the time that, like, I'm happy I did that. And this is the most important, like, story to me. I love these yeah. characters so much. And I love this world so much. And it did things that no story had I'd ever seen done at that point. And in many ways, yeah. I haven't seen a story do it as successfully as Brotherhood since. Great. Yeah. Bova, any fi- any final thoughts on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? I uh, I was always told never to watch 2003, to only watch um, Brotherhood, and 
end there but um i think this conversation has opened me more up to watching 2003 and i'd be interested in definitely checking it out because i do love the characters in the story so Mm -hmm. like ryan said more fma is more fma so what can go wrong but yeah i appreciate that rundown on the entire 2003 story it sounds interesting i'd be curious to see like how good that um beginning of the anime is I was just going to say, I think it's a shame that Brotherhood has sort of replaced 2003 because they should be seen as mm. two different shows with both worthy of their own merits and both separate in their, both separately amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, and maybe other people feel this way, and that's why people argue about there being one definitive show, is I, I'm not good at like removing things I've seen from my head canon. Like, Rise of Skywalker is always going to be the end of the Skywalker saga unless they make more movies which hopefully they don't but like I'm not able to just pretend it ends on Last Jedi and that it's ambiguous but hopeful you know like I'm always gonna remember the shit in Rise of Skywalker (laughs) so sometimes I struggle when it's like these are multiple tellings of the same not the same story but um, a similar story with the same characters and similar writers and whatnot Um, i kind of want there to be like one definitive version that's why i'm a a marvel person who where everything's canon compared to a dc (laughs) person where it's like yeah every seven years we'll start over Um, but that being said brotherhood at least is one of the most amazing shows i've ever seen and highly worth a watch it sounds like 2003 has its merits as well and as far as i know as of this recording both shows are on netflix so pretty accessible which isn't always the case with a lot of uh great anime so and both shows are within like the top 50 of imdb both are ranked very highly on my anime list brotherhood is the top anime on my anime list still wow it's it's had that's awesome it's had an insane legacy and i really hope it doesn't go away and I really yeah. hope that I can get even more people to watch this. I got I'm getting my roommate Evan to watch uh to read the manga. Oh nice. hell yeah. Yeah. So nice. I'm just gonna try and get as many people to watch this show as possible. Or in some way consume Full Metal Alchemist. Cause like in one breath I envy you because you haven't seen Full Metal Alchemist. And <laughs> I would love to go back and rewatch this show for the first time again. But in another way, I'm so excited for you because you haven't seen Full Metal Alchemist. like how can it is it is i want this show to have so much more attention than it already has and it already has so much attention 100 percent, yeah with that um why don't we go around and see if we have anything to promote i think ryan you might be the only one with anything to promote because not to speak for bova but i know (laughs) i've been busy in college and stuff but what do you got going on uh, I'm the lead singer and co-writer of a band called Beach Tower. Uh, we should be having new material come out relatively soon, uh, but we are we have an EP out. It's called the Beach Tower EP. Um, it was released back in September. I'm very proud of it. If you could, if you get the chance, I would really appreciate you to check it out. And then we, myself, um, the bassist of Beach Tower, uh, Evan Donnelly. And my a good friend of mine, Lucas, got it. Uh, we host this album reviewing series called You Have to Hear This. It's a ton of fun. Uh, it gets pretty unhinged at this point. Um, <laughs> Can confirm. But 
yeah no we've, we've been on a very tight weekly schedule with that i'm very proud of it so far we have a grammys episode coming out soon as well or it's probably it might it's probably out already by the time this comes out um but yeah i'm i'm very proud of both of those projects both uh, i think last time we talked about your twitch have you been <laughs> able to do much on that or any other creative outlets if i uh, look back i've had one stream between my last appearance <laughs> on this podcast and now um, my Twitch account is Whitemark TV. I want to get back on it eventually, but college is so busy right now that, you know, soon, one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in a similar boat, so go back and listen to this backlog. Uh, but just take care of yourself in the meantime. Um, it's busy, stressful time, but the light-soaked days are coming. I am sure of that now, uh, so hold on. Hold it, hold it. What's the phrase? Hold in there. No. Hang in there. Hang in there. (laughs) Hold in there. Hang in there. Hold in there, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Hold in there your emotions. Don't let anyone know them. Suppress it. Um, I'll leave all that in. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clayton Terry. I'm Ryan Terry. And I'm Nick Bova. And. How do we end this? Have a great night. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast will be passed down our family line for generations. Stay frosty. (laughs) Stay frosty, my friends. (laughs)